0: You're in a rut. You are going down a path and at some point you realize it's not going to work. Or do you? There's a point in every Journey, I suppose you'd say, where you're going to question yourself. It's probably around the one third mark, maybe kind of close to halfway. That's when you look back and make sure. That you want to continue on because behind you you know what that is you know where you came from and that's safety even if you came from something bad you at least know what is there whereas in front of you to go into a new place that you've never been before, there's uncertainty very much. And you're going to question yourself and just make sure that you wanna do this, it's pretty easy to get caught up in overthinking things. I mean, how hard should it be to be a fucking human being? There's a lot of different lifestyles and ways of doing it. And some people, and just seems overly complicated You got to wonder sometimes if the people that seem to be the happiest are actually could be the most miserable Is a simple life really what we all seek in the end I mean, simple can include thrills and you know, adventure and it can include a lot of complexity paradoxically what I mean by a simple life is living your life by a code or an ethos, a philosophy that you can, you create and you understand. I'm not sure everyone has the ability to do that. Does everyone have the potential? Maybe. But, currently, most people don't have the ability to create their own philosophy. That would require, for an ultimate philosophy, that would require the deepest of understanding and wisdom about how the universe truly works. There's two types of people. (laughs) And this is always funny when you try to be binary and things, but this is just one example, one way to look at human beings, particularly adults. You have what people would call people don't most people don't know of this terminology but this is this is where this podcast and my post larval productions comes from the terminology comes from T- Dr. Timothy Leary and it refers to two types of people you have the larval human being and you have the post-larval or cyber human being. The larval human being is a person who from birth gains programming and attachment to this planet obviously as we all are currently but more importantly they are attached without freely choosing to be they are attached to the culture and the social games that have been created that they were born into and this means a larval can be a doctor, can be a lawyer, they can speak multiple languages, Um, they can be extremely high functioning and, and necessary. I'm not saying there's a bad thing necessarily about larval human beings, but the idea is that they have not yet detached philosophically from the paradigms in which they were brought up in, the cultural programming, the rituals and roles and rules of the game that we call human society, modern society particularly, but this is in any context. Now, the post larval human being, the cyber human being, which cyber, I think, uh, I believe in Greek it means will, I think. Um, Basically, in other words, it means pilot, to be your own pilot. This is a human who has, instead of listening to the external, sensorial input from their culture and authorities, they have decided to listen from within. They listen to their body. They listen to their heart though that's a romantic explanation. Scientifically, you could explain it as a human being who has neurologically freed their imprints and conditioning from their upbringing, from the culture in which they were raised in. And they reject that if they choose not. You don't have to reject all of it, but they at least have detached in a way, I mean literally, neurologically, and that experience of rapture, that is to be totally free of your neurological imprints and conditionings and be in a state of pure Direct reception of the world around you rather than seeing it through the lens of your cultural paradigm. It all happens in the brain. And this is what psychedelics will do, though they all have different, you know. It's like putting on a different pair of glasses. You know, and a lot of people say, it's basically like putting on a pair of glasses on your third eye. The idea here is that the larval clings to the herd. They are reliant on what the collective decides is right. What the they go where the herd goes. They do what the herd does. And that's, you know, it's all programmed from DNA. Just like we've talked about the beehive, the ant colony. Larvals are still in the hive mind. They have not freed themselves. And therefore are not freely choosing what they want to do in their life. It's like you could be the best player in a game of any sort, but unless you've even questioned whether you should even play the game, then you're clearly not actually making free choice, you know. Where, if you are a post larval human being, you have freed yourself from what the collective says is right. Not that you're going to disagree with everything, but there's a difference between taking fact as truth without. Understanding the situation for yourself to come to your own truth, which could end up be, being the same thing as the fact which the collective determined. Uh, fact and uh, true and false is a subjective paradigm. Fact and guess you would call fiction, um, is a collective, collectively agreed upon, though obviously many people will disagree within a large collective, so there's many subgroups within it on whatever topic you may be talking about, but the idea as well, in a broader sense, in a more um, in an evolutionary sense is that we are we are children of this planet we were born here and in we are tied to this planet like a baby as an umbilical to the mother but when you are finally born you obviously lose that umbilical tie. It is the same thing in which we are yet to be truly born to what we are supposed to be. We are still infants, children at best. And when we finally decide to take full responsibility Ownership of our individual lives then we will become a full I believe finally reach the full potential of the human being um, which is to do you think we're just going to hang out on this planet for eternity? <laughs> well I'll tell you what I don't think the sun's going to have that. Sun is a ticking time bomb. And uh, I think that's enough to say that we are clearly not intended to simply stay here. Our intention, our future, is to explore space. But the larval they're not ready to do this. They are still clinging to ideologies, religions, philosophies that tell you you are a limited individual that, particularly religions. You know, most religions on this earth try to go forward while looking backwards the whole time. The only religion or philosophy that will move us forward is science to a certain degree. The process of science and empiricism That is best thing we have to go off of. But I think that's like a... It's funny. I mean, you can be super pragmatic about how to approach life, which is science. You just take it for what it seems to be. If you push in and it reacts, if you can, you know, if you can manipulate things, I mean... Is that not proof enough that you're on to something? You know, but science has no morality. It can't set morality. Um, It only knows how things work. It doesn't know what things truly are. And therefore it doesn't know what you should do with your life. That is where philosophy, which was originally called... Well, science was originally called natural philosophy. But philosophy is what drives the ship. That is the pilot. Science is the crew and the ship itself, you know. And just as, you know, as a collective, as a species, we'll hopefully, you know, have compassion for one another and working with nature and the systems nature has created will you know, do our best to be fair and and uh, live our lives to the fullest but we're still yet to be born we're still we're still children it's amazing how we run away from our problems. I know you feel small. The world feels so big. Have you ever been in the opposite state of mind? And I don't mean in an egotistical state of mind. Not. It's not... The opposite, ego is the opposite, which is feeling larger than the world in a way that you feel feel large and the world feels small. That's ego. What most people who are humble or mean, Average, mediocre. Um, I'd say they generally feel like the world is large and they are small. There's, I think, a, a special spot in the middle, though, which is what we all need to find, and it's a balance. It's it's not proportional at all. In fact, if you had to say, how does the world feel? It's basically, it feels however it feels. It depends. It's your focus that determines how the world is going to feel. It's feels like a dream. I think that's when you know that you're coming into balance and perceiving the world for what it is. Because... philosophy... philosophy will rip a new one in science. And science will fall apart the deeper you dig. It works on some levels. But it's interesting because the precision of science isn't absolute. Now, perhaps that's just our tools and techniques are not good enough to be precise. But there's, of course, the idea that the universe, in all its facets, is like an onion and there is no center it is you know in fact void in the center it is infinite you will just continue peeling and peeling and peeling back layers and there is no end in that process this is the fundamental idea on uh, the cycle of reality how reality works, how the universe works, in the most simple way to understand, and that is that it is infinite in every single way. I shouldn't even have to say that. Infinite is infinite in every single way. not much to say honestly I mean it will I'm not really feeling like a poet right now so because it will take true poetry to put into words the true meaning of life and what is going on you know I think we're due soon, certainly in my lifetime, for I suppose a a reorientation. We've been flying through chaos for however you want to measure it. A millennium, something like that, eons, who knows? I mean, just in the human story that we know or that we can theorize, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years that this process has been going on to get us right where we are right now. Now you can get metaphysical and things and talk about alternate universes, parallel universes, or how metaphysically our singular linear perception of reality really means nothing in the eyes of metaphysics. You know, metaphysics says, and relativity just says, it's it's anything and everything all the time. And there's no way to know a true the truth, you know, there's only the truth of the infrastructure or the, the way it works. That's what we've figured out with mathematics and science. Um, but that's only the road that you drive on. Good luck answering why you're on the road driving. That is, you know, no one yet has pieced it all together. Everyone in the past has been right about it philosophers and mystics and scientists, you know, but, you know, really, if you're scientist is a materialist basically they have to be there are certain presuppositions that they assume in order to practice modern science if you choose to question those presuppositions and you're talking about metaphysics that's really philosophy because the whole thing of trying to figure out the mathematics behind it all that'll come that's for sure it'll come useful Uh, But to a certain degree, because again, um, logic is not philosophy. Logic is science. It's, It's reason, which is only half of what philosophy is. Philosophy is the alchemy between reason and logic and intuition or in other words being fully present in the moment um, being fully aware it's alchemy of what do you have when you take the subjective and the objective and combine them that is the final answer to what life is anyone potentially could answer it because you can know what something is from a lot of different points of view you know you don't have to be standing right in the middle of you know a basketball game you don't have to be a player to observe the game and objectively describe what it is but then you must be objective about your subjective experience as well that is where you find your center that is where you find truth the truth and anyone can find this from wherever they're standing easier said than done like everything This is, uh, it's not for everybody. Philosophy is a dirty game. It's, uh, there's nothing off limits in philosophy. You have to look everywhere, you have to look in the places, especially that you don't want to look, to truly understand it. I feel like god is constantly on the other side of a glass window or something. You know, if I had a bubble, it's like better yet, I have a bubble floating around my body. And I'm go it stays around me everywhere I go and right on the other side of that bubble on the outside, I feel like it's god just always right there, smiling, speaking to me, whatever. At this point, you know, it's mostly just a smile. It's something in especially the bad situations. It's where you, he or she, whatever, It's just this face, this smile that is just there to subtly remind you without tampering with anything necessarily or, you know, uh, without popping the bubble. God is just close enough to you to be able to remind you that it's just a ride. that it's all divine. that you're always with God. You know That's the illusion that Christ- all these religions, you know, think that God is this separate entity or person somewhere hanging out in the universe or in heaven, wherever that may be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an illusion for you are one with God and you are never separated, not ever. Cause that God that is on the outside of that bubble, it's really just a reflection of you on the inside that's what i mean it's it's not like it's standing necessarily outside the bubble Um, it's it's kind of a multi-layer thing here you are god and you are the center of everything at all times and this bubble that surrounds you has a reflection on the inside that If you're looking at the bubble, you'll see yourself. But the bubble also transmits that on the outside. If you were looking in at yourself from the outside, you would see that that reflection on the bubble. So it's kind of a new analogy here. Just thought of it, but... Definitely a good one. If you've ever used LSD, and in fact, I experienced this under LSD after like eight hours later, and I was still tripping, and then I ripped up that bong, and that's what threw me into the, like, one of my best psychedelic experiences ever. Probably my best psychedelic, my favorite psychedelic experience to this point. Because when I smoked that weed, I immediately, like... Like, if you smoked weed, you know what it's like. And But when you're on LSD, it's even better. And uh, I went and laid down in my room, which was pretty dark, except for like a... I think I had some kind of little night light or something. But it was it was mostly um, very pretty dark. And I was laying down in my bed, and I start... I think if I remember correctly I started hearing first this song and it sounded like it was just coming from somewhere in the room like it's hard to describe it was it was just coming from everywhere like it was as if I had headphones on and I was listening to something that was you know centered in the headphone mix but it had enough reverb to make it sound like it was in a you know a room in fact bigger room than what the room actually was it was just this perfect like it was coming from behind me or something it was just it was as if there was it was coming from right behind my head and you could hear it perfectly with both ears no matter how you moved you can move your head, and you were still hearing it the same way, volume and direction and everything. And it was this. This is what I heard. And it, I think it was a little higher pitch, too. It was kind of like... And I just heard this for like, I don't know, a minute or something. But as this started to play, I started noticing on the wall and I had a couple, I had a you know rectangle door in one corner of the room. I had a closet door on another part of the wall, another wall. And then the walls were all, you know, a ceiling, plus I was kind of viewing walls in a four-room, uh, four-walled room, and this, basically like a symbol, it was an outline of like a, a gnome, an elf, like a little lawn, a lawn gnome with the pointy hat, but it wasn't like detailed on the inside, it was just the the outline shape of the body with the hat. And it was this little, you know, just the the archetypal lawn gnome. And it was placed in all the squares, like the door, each wall had them. It all had this little like print or uh, what would you call it? Like a watermark of almost like, you know, whoever the architect was of all this, of the universe left this little watermark and it was just kind of placed in the bottom right corner if i was facing at a you know facing a wall it was at the kind of bottom right corner probably you know for a 10 foot tall wall it was about you know two feet three feet tall maybe and then the door had one and then i remember then looking down at my left forearm and my forearm had this like, it was almost like if you took your other hand and kind of just peeled back four fingers worth of skin off of like the middle of your forearm, you know, for about six inches or so. And on the inside of your forearm there, after you peel it back on the inside, you would see that symbol, that elf, and it was as if, And it was in like a neon blue. All these were in like a neon blue, glowing blue. And if you could just take like a a glowing neon blue stamp that was like three inches tall of the same gnome, the outline, and you just went on on that spot on your forearm and you just like pressed it in infinite, like changed your direction hundreds, just kept doing it hundreds and hundreds of times, you know. Just like if you got a, a ink print, you know, on your skin. If you took one of those and just boom, 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 like hundreds of times in all different directions, but only in this little area. And it was this little elf symbol. And then the song, I believe, kind of faded away and I went through this, like, kaleidoscope of some experiences from my past, some traumas, um, it was all in 3D, and, um, literally these pictures floating from behind me, right in front of me, like 3D holograms floating by me, and I got to look at them, and it just, and then, I believe after all this, it literally, led me to a, all the pictures and all that faded away. And I was left with a state of simply sitting on the edge of my bed where I was the whole time this was happening. And I looked forward, I was just looking forward, kind of just generally just sitting there and my closets in front of me, there's, you know, a wall and and a closed door what I saw overlaying if you will was the bubble the bubble that makes up your reality and the LSD coupled with the weed had completely released my imprints and all conditioning and I was simply I the bubble itself was the reason why I could could literally see it as if If you, it was like if you took actual bubbles and made them like three to four inches big, and you simply built a perfect sphere of bubbles and you know how they kinda, when you connect bubbles, they kinda, you know, pop together and they connect like a molecule or something. This was a perfectly symmetrical sphere around my vision, it was like it was around my head um, projecting maybe about two or three feet away from like my face and what I was looking at, but it was clearly spherical and it was just these little circles, little bubbles um, and it was all clear, it just had that kind of glassy look to it, so I still saw my room and everything as it was except it was viewed through this kind of glassy um, bubble uh, bubbly comprised sphere, larger bubble that's around me Um, and as I'm sitting there and I didn't do anything consciously to make this happen, this was purely the psychedelics releasing the imprints and it was the most incredible thing because I'm sitting there and then I could hear, if you will, an echo, a slight echo as if I was inside my body. So the thing, the me that is in this meat suit, that's in this space suit, this body was completely still inside the body, but it was released from all its connections to it. And so I was simply, I was actually observing like Iron Man or something, like inside the suit. So there was this slight, I could hear my, if you want to call it that, my spirit. Um, I hate that fucking word. They've got to make up a, a better word for, for this, but um, maybe call it the mind body, <laughs> but that would be confusing. Um, it'd be like the energy body or something like that instead of the material body Um, but I could kind of wiggle around as if I was in my body and had some room to move and I could it was literally like and I could hear a little bit of like an echo when I was kind of moving and thinking Um, and so I remember that lasting for I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that, you know, because eventually my thought process started analyzing, almost immediately started analyzing what's going on and, um, thinking about it. And then, uh, after that, I think I just kind of laid down and tried to go to sleep at some point, you know, but, um, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience, probably coolest one so far. I've had a lot of cool experiences on psychedelics, but, and I mean the profound, that is, that experience changed my life, like utterly. That's why I still remember it quite vividly. At least it's hard to remember it all in the order that it might have happened, but I'm pretty sure what I just told you is, is chronologically correct. And all the details as well. That's the best I can explain it because I can still see the images, the experience I had. I still remember that um, as well as some of the feelings. Um, Yeah. That was rapture. That's what, that was ultimate, at least the introduction You're not going to understand the experience right from the get-go. But to have that experience now has freed you um, again from all those programming that you were brought up in. And you, you know, that's seeing through the veil. And that's what everybody needs to do is see through the veil of culture, and the collective ideologies, which that's culture. <laughs> and the religions and all that, they need to directly perceive their reality instead of viewing it through the lens of society. And this is psychedelics are the tool to do this. Have the microscope to view things. Uh, I believe T- Timothy Leary, I'm sure, I believe he said that, the, you know, LSD is the uh, microscope and telescope of, of the mind. You can view in inward or you can view outward. Um, it is literally your brain dialing and tuning it and so makes me want to do some fucking LSD (laughs) wish I had some (laughs) all right peace be with you